Reminders can be very important. The most common use of reminders is to assure that we don't forget to keep an appointment or that a deadline is rapidly approaching in which we must complete a task. Sometimes a reminder is intended to be inspirational. You may have heard the slogan, Remember the Alamo, which indeed recent generations have long forgotten and ironically the phrase is meaningless. Most people don't know what happened at the Alamo and why it needs to be remembered. Thirdly, a reminder can be used to keep one's self focused. This morning, we are going to look at two very important reminders in the scripture. They are quite different. The first has to do with the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. The second has to do with communion. And we want to focus on the significance of these reminders and what we can learn from them. In the Old Testament, there was a yearly reminder that the sins of the people had not been completely dealt with. The law, that is the sacrificial system, was just a figure of that which was to come, namely Christ's sacrifice. In verse 1, it says, for, instance, for since the law is but a shadow of the good things to come. These sacrifices that were given according to the law pointed to something that was yet future, but they were a poor facsimile of that which was to come. The sacrifices of old were not adequate to remove sin, according to verse 1. For since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. No matter how many sacrifices were offered, which found in the statement in verse 1, by the same sacrifices, offering these sacrifices, these same sacrifices, could not take away sin, no matter how repeatedly they were presented, they could not have an accumulative effect of taking away sins. For it tells us in the end of verse 1 that they are continually offered every year. So there is this repetition year after year after year of offering the very same sacrifices. And yet sin was not completely dealt with. Those sacrifices could not get the job done. For it tells us at the end of verse 1 that they could not make perfect those who draw near. To make perfect is to complete the task. So I summarized it as getting the job done. That is to accomplish the goal of bringing people to a close relationship to God wherein they could enter into his presence. That is what is meant by the end of verse 1 where it says draw near. Draw near to God. There was this awareness throughout the Old Testament that there was a certain distance that existed between God and even his people. If you remember in the sacrificial system, there was a tabernacle, and in that tabernacle there was the holy place, and there was the most holy place. And the most holy place was the place where there was the Ark of the Covenant. And, but once a year, only the high priest could enter into the holy place on the Day of Atonement and sprinkle the blood from the sacrifice uh, on the mercy seat that was on top of the Ark of the Covenant. They could not draw near. They could not draw near. The holiest of holies was not accessible to them. The fact that the sacrifices could not take away sin is proven by a question. For it asks the question in verse 2, otherwise, would they have not ceased to be offered? Isn't that the case? 
If they could take away sin, well, then they would have stopped offering those sacrifices, for sin would have been dealt with. But those sacrifices went on year after year after year. Instead, the worshipers were constantly made aware of their sinfulness. For it tells us in verse 3, but in these sacrifices, there is reminder of sins every year. That reminder is that their sins were called to mind. It was brought to their attention. Every time they offered these sacrifices, they knew that they were a sinful people, that they were distant from God. It was constantly brought up to them as they offered these sacrifices. The reason that there is a reminder of sins is because the blood of goats and bulls cannot take away sins, verse 4, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. <clears throat> the blood of bulls and goats as offered in sacrifice and carried into the most holy place was designed by God to represent the way of taking away sin, but could not by itself achieve this. Therefore, it was impossible that it should do so, for the blood of bulls and goats can't take sin away. And since the blood of goats and bulls could not take away sins, then another sacrifice had to be found, verse 5. Consequently, because these sacrifices of bulls and goat blood could not take away sin, consequently, when Christ came into the world, Christ came to be that sacrifice. For it tells us in verse 5, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. That is, Christ came to offer himself as a living sacrifice for sin. It would be his body on the cross that would ultimately take sin away. Another sacrifice had to be found that could satisfy the holiness and righteousness of God. Verse 6. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. When it says that God took no pleasure, it means that God was not satisfied. God was not pleased. God's wrath was not fully assuaged. There was still a problem. So Christ came to satisfy God's holiness, God's righteousness, verse 7. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. This is a quotation from Psalm 40, verses 6 to 8. Psalm 40, verses 6 to 8 reads, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the counsel of the book it is written. I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. So Christ came to accomplish what God had decreed. Verses 8 and 9, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He came to accomplish God's decree. What God had <clears throat> foreordained before the foundation of the world, that these sins would be dealt with by the very body and blood of Lord Jesus Christ. In so doing, Christ came to supply what the sacrificial system could not, 
Verse 9. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. He did away with the first. It's referring to the sacrifices of the Old Testament that they have come to an end. And it tells us that he did so that in order to establish the second, that is to replace the sacrifices with something that in turn would never be replaced. So Christ came to bring an end to the first, and then the latter would never come to an end. Through Christ's complete obedience, we have been made righteous. Hebrews 10.10. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Again, in Psalm 40, verse 8, it says, I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. Christ came, lived a completely sinless life, lived in absolute holiness and righteousness before God. He was without sin. That is, he was out without sin of commission, meaning that he never committed a sin. He was without the sin of omission, which means he never failed to do that which he was to do. He was truly, fully, completely righteous and holy. And Christ offered himself as a one-time sacrifice. Verse 10. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once for all. Not like these sacrifices that had to be repeated yearly. Christ came into the world. He died once on the cross and rose again. So now we're brought to the significance of Christ's sacrifice having been completed. Having been completed his work, Jesus sat down at God's right hand, verses 11 and 12. And every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Stand, the sitting down at the right hand of God stands in contrast to the priests who were standing continually to offer sacrifices. It's a beautiful imagery. He sat down. He was done. The work was completed. These priests are standing daily, offering these sacrifices time and time and time again. Jesus, it's once and done. Through Jesus' single offering of himself, he has completely cleansed us for all time, verse 14. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, those who are set apart for God. Christ's sacrifice is sufficient for the cleansing of all sins, past, present, and future. This stands in contrast to the offerings that no matter how often, no matter how many were offered, they could never take away sins. Verse 11, and every priest stands daily at the service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which never can take away sins. Through the work of Christ, we are transformed. Verses 15 and 16, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. He has given us a desire by his grace, by the Holy Spirit, to hunger and thirst after righteousness. He has given us a desire to live 
godly and holy lives. That is our ambition. That is our goal. That is what we want to do. We want to please him. We want to glorify him. We want to bring glory to his name. As a result, the remembrance of sins has ended, verse 17. Then he says, I remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. It is God who will not remember our sins. When it says that he will never remember our sins, it means that we can be assured that they will never be held against us. It doesn't mean that God is unaware. It isn't as though God has amnesia of what we were before we came to know the Lord as our Savior. But it means that he will not bring it to mind. It means that he will not hold it against us. They will never be brought up against us and used against us. You know, unfortunately, we encounter people, sometimes even perhaps our own spouse or people that we were close to, who tell us that they forgive us for what we have done, but in an argument, in a time of being upset with us, they raise the same old issues. They bring up what we did 10 years ago, 15 years ago, things that we asked forgiveness, things that we tried to deal with, but they continually bring them up. God will never bring up our sin. God will never hold it against us. God will never use it against us. He will not, I will not, remember their sins. They're all his deeds no more. Sin has been completely and everlastingly dealt with. God is not merely holding his tongue while seething inside, putting up with us while all at the same time just grieved at what we're doing. God is truly satisfied with the offering of his son. His justice, his holiness has been quenched. He is satisfied. Isaiah chapter 53 says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, that is God, has put him, that is Christ, to death. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. God could take no pleasure in the offerings of the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, he could say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And in that sacrifice, he is satisfied. His righteousness, his holiness has been quenched. And so... There is no longer a reminder of our sinfulness, verse 18. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Because the reason for the offering of a sin was to be a reminder. It was a constant reminder that sin had not yet been dealt with. But now that it can be said 
that God will remember our sins no more. Now there is no longer a sacrifice for sin. Which brings us to our communion thought this morning. And I want you to give you the, the background for what is this incredible statement that is given to us in 1 Corinthians. If you turn with me there, uh, that's where we're going to be concluding this morning as we make the application of these truths that are in Hebrews chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Very familiar communion verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 23 we find out that communion is a remembrance. 1 Corinthians 11, reading at verse 23, For I received from the Lord what also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What we are to be reminded of as we take communion is Christ. Christ. We are not to be reminded of our sins. We are to be reminded that our sins are forgiven. We are to be reminded that we have complete access to God. We are to be reminded that God's holiness and justice has been satisfied. We are to be reminded that we have the opportunity to draw near. Our focus is to be on pursuing righteousness as opposed to be ridding ourselves of sin. You know, I think so many Christians are still trying to deal with guilt and sin. That has been dealt with. It's behind us. We're not to be focusing on our sins. We're supposed to be focusing on the one who took our sins away. We are not to be trying to make ourselves right with God. We are to understand and rejoice in the fact that we are right with God. And there's a world of difference of trying to turn from sin as opposed to trying to hunger and thirst after righteousness. It's a positive goal that's in our hearts and minds. We are not trying to gain God's favor. We have God's favor. And in having God's favor, we want to enjoy it fully. The main application is that we now can draw near to God without fear or reprisal. The Old Testament in Hebrews chapter 10 told us, let me read it again, Hebrews 10.1, for since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of those realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, 
make perfect those who draw near. They could not bring about this intimacy with God. There, there was always the holy place of which they could not enter. They could not go there because the blood of goats and bulls could not take away sin. There was this barrier. So the good news of the new covenant is that we are able to draw near to God. It's the exact opposite. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of God's grace. In the Old Testament, you better not go into that holy of holies or you would die. Now, it says with confidence, we can enter into the very presence of God's throne. The very presence of where God dwells. We can have confidence to come into his presence. There are two main ideas that are associated with this Greek word that's translated in the ESV as confidence. We have confidence to draw near. Two specific aspects. The first, it means with boldness, with fearlessness, with confidence, knowing that we are welcome and accepted. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be reluctant of coming into the presence of God. We are welcome. When Sarah and the kids come to our house, they never knock. They just walk in. They just walk in. Now, usually they holler, we're here or something, just so in case we're not ready for their presence, we can get ready. So they give us a heads up, but the point is they feel comfortable to walk in. They're, they're family. They just walk in the house. They know that they'll be accepted. They, they know that they'll be welcomed. We are welcomed into the very presence of God. He invites us to come. We never have to be afraid of coming to him in prayer. The second element has to do with frankness openness, plainness of speech. We don't have to beat around the bush when we come into God's presence. We don't have to hide things from God. God knows it all. Not only does God know it all, God dealt with it all. So we never have to be afraid of anything that we are going to say to God that is going to cause him to reject us. There is no sin, there is no problem, there is no struggle, there is no need in which God says, you? You feel that way? You've done that? Out of my sight, out of my presence. God will never disown us. We are his children forever and ever. So Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace 
That's how it's described. It's a gracious throne. That we may receive two things. That we may receive mercy, pity, compassion. We can be assured when we come to the presence of God that his response to us will always be because of the grace, because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We can be assured that God's response to you and to me whenever we come into his presence will be a merciful response, a compassionate response. He will have pity upon us. He will feel for us. This is the verse before. It says, we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. God is no longer angered at our sin. God is pained by our sin. He feels sorry for us as sinners. And he's grieved for us in all that our sin is bringing to bear upon us. even as Jesus wept over Jerusalem. We will find mercy. And second, that we may receive mercy and find grace. Grace. God will always deal with us in such a way that it is unmerited favor. We never have to earn a hearing with God. We don't have to get our life in order so that now God will hear and answer my prayers. Christ took our sin away. We will always obtain mercy and we will always obtain grace. And so the verse ends, that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. So the outcome, again, is twofold. The first is help. Help. God will never harm us. God will never judge us because our sins have been removed. We can be assured that we will always get God's help. He will always come to our aid. He will always be on our side. We will always experience his benevolence, his goodness, because of the work of Jesus Christ to help in time of need. We will not be rebuffed. We will not be refused. We will receive help in our need. And we never stop being a needy people. We never stop knowing hardship and difficulty and trial. Though our sins are judicially removed, yet we know the struggles that exist within marriages and parents and children and co-workers. We know the anguish we've brought upon our own souls. 
We are needy. There are fears that consume us. There's anger and bitterness that's hard for us to put aside. We're a needy people. We don't have to get our act together to come into the presence of God. We are not trying to gain his approval. We're coming to him for help. We're coming and saying, Lord, I've got these problems. We're not trying to get rid of the problems so that God will accept us and bless us. We bring our problems before him to receive grace and mercy, which we will, which we will because of the shed blood of the Lord, shed blood of Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be reminded as we take of communion this morning of Jesus Christ. Be reminded that our acceptance with God is based totally upon the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ. Not us at all. For he deals with sins past, present, and future. Quit trying to get rid of your sin and instead seek to live righteously before God. Now, that seems like an oxymoron, that, but, but I tell you, there's a world difference in the approach. For God says that I've written my laws upon their hearts and their minds, which says deep down inside, if we belong to God's people, we really do want to do better. We really are saddened by our lack of progress. And we really wish that our lives would be different. So let's ask for his help. As we hunger and thirst after righteousness, which by its very definition says we haven't obtained it. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness. It, it means that we aren't righteous yet, but boy, we'd like to be. Boy, we'd like to be. Aren't there so many things in your life that you'd like to be different? Come to Christ. Things you'd like to change, come to Christ. Things that bring you sorrow and hurt, come to Christ. Come to Christ where you will find grace and mercy in a time of need. That's what we're to be reminded of as we take communion. You have complete confidence and boldness to come into the presence of God and find help, find grace, find mercy. So I say to you this morning, if you do not know the Lord as your Savior, I 
I ask that you place your faith and trust in him, for he and he alone can take away sin. That's why he died on the cross. Without trusting in him, we have no hope of eternal life, for there is nothing that can take away sin but the blood of Christ. So come to him. And if you have come to him, be assured. Be assured that your sins are gone. They're removed as far as the east is from the west. I will remember your sins no more. Instead, seek righteousness. Seek holiness. Seek to praise him. Bring your needs before him. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for the work of the Lord Jesus. We thank you for that through his shed blood, our sins are removed and we can come with boldness into your presence to find grace and help in time of need. So, Lord, help us, your needy people, this morning as we partake of communion. Give us full and complete assurance that our sins are forgiven and we are accepted before you. May we not dwell on our sin. May we dwell on your righteousness and your holiness. May we not try to get rid of sin, but may we instead, Lord, hunger and thirst after righteousness. Make us a godly people to your glory and to the richness of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We ask our brethren to come forward.